I remember when I was a kid, years ago, my friend and I found this huge blackberry patch. Our goal then, how many blackberries can we get in our mouth at one time? We were a mess. Blackberries all over our face. We were purple. Our fingers were purple. Our shirts were a mess. When I got home, I thought my mom would blow a fit, but she didn't. First thing she said was, where'd you get the blackberries? Today, we're talking with Stephanie Thurl. Stephanie is a master canner and cookbook author. Her book is called Can It and Ferment It. She's got some great points. My name is Dave. This is the Clean Slate Farm Podcast. I'm going to apologize in advance here for the audio on my side of this recording. Everything looked like it was set up properly, but it wasn't. Stephanie came through great. Me? Eh, not so much. Hey, it's a work in progress. We'll get better at this. Today we're talking with Stephanie Thurow. And Stephanie is an author, book author. She's got, well, you've got a couple of books coming out, Stephanie. You've got one out and one coming. And uh, you have been canning now for about 15 years. Uh, you do uh, hot water bath canning and pressure canning. You're just getting into that a little bit more. Uh, but I wanted to talk with you because your book is terrific. I love the book. I bought the book and I rarely buy books anymore. Uh, but yours was great because it had a great format on that. So, uh some of the things that Stephanie's been doing, she's canning, she's teaching. She was recently in Hawaii for a certified master canner course, and she's now certified in that. Uh, Farmer's Almanac serialized your book, correct? They chose it as their um, annual canning magazine. Yeah, they turned 60 of the recipes into their magazine and uh, changed the layout a bit, added some new photos and little tidbits. It's, it's very beautiful. That's terrific. So let's talk a little bit about your book first. What inspired you to write a book? I, maybe we should just start, what inspired you to start canning? Because you, you're you like a crazy lady with canning. I am. Um, really, I was in my early 20s and I was like, you know, I don't really have any hobbies anymore. What, what would I be interested in? And I thought about canning because I really liked Bloody Marys and I wanted a good garlic dill pickle for my Bloody Mary. That's really the truth. <laughs> and uh, I only knew one person that canned at the time, and it was my boyfriend's aunt. And so I asked her if she would teach me, and she was happy to. And that's how it all began. And uh, once I did it, I was completely hooked. I think that first weekend she taught me, we did strawberry, gel, uh, strawberry jam, pickles, and beets, and uh, just kept going after that. And that was hot water bath canning or fermented? Yeah. Hot water beets. bath can. Oh, hot, hot water. Okay. Yeah, there's a little difference. And we'll be talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, the little difference in hot water bath and fermenting. A lot of difference. And we'll talk about that. Uh, so I, the book I really like because you broke it down into here's a recipe that you can do hot water bath canning or you can ferment this. And mm -hmm. what was your what was your thinking there? What, how well, that that is how the book uh, was kind of born in my mind. Um I've noticed that a lot of people either are canners or they're fermenters and not very many people do both because they are like kind of different in the methods. And so canners are like, I, I sterilize everything. Why would I want to produce all this like bacteria so they don't get it? And then fermenters right. are like, I've just created all this great bacteria. Why would you kill it? You know? And so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't thought of it that way. <laughs> and well, that, so I wanted to kind of bridge the gap because both of the methods are very beneficial. They taste completely different. And so I was trying to come up with ways to can and ferment each of the fruits and vegetables that I include in the book. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about for, for those who aren't canning, because I'd like this, I'd like this podcast for people who don't can or ferment. 
I'd like people to, to give it a try because it's very easy to do. Fermenting is simple. There's nothing bad about fermenting. And I want people to explore that a little bit because it's really a great thing to do. I mean, you can put up all kinds of food and have it for later and you're not running to the local market to pick up beans or pickles or whatever. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit first about traditional canning. What most people would think of canning is hot water bath canning, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. How is that done? Tell me how, how that's done. Um, well, it's basically you're taking acidic food and you're either it's already acidic or you're acidifying it by adding lemon juice or vinegar or whatever, pickling it, and you're putting it through high heat process of this boiling water bath. And then through this process, you'll create an airtight environment so no bad bacteria can survive. And then it becomes a safe uh, shelf stable product that you can keep in your pantry for a year or two. Um, and yeah, it's great. It's a great way to preserve the harvest now, later on. Yep. Like uh, one of the things that we can, I make a lot of bread and butter pickles. Very simple recipe. Last year or two years ago, I said, hey, I've got beets, bread and butter beets. So I did bread and butter beets, dilly beans, uh, regular, traditionally, what most people think of traditional canning, uh, dill pickles. And uh, very simple to do. So uh Hot water bath canning is you submerse the jar that you have everything in underwater and you bring it to a certain temperature and let it go for a certain time. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about, let's talk a little bit about food safety in that because there are some things you need to know, very simple things like making sure the rim is wiped off. Uh, but let's yeah. talk a little about food okay. safety and what should we be looking for? Um, when you're canning, you want all your surfaces to be very clean. Um Yes, you're going to want jars that don't have any cracks in them. Um, I mean, and I, I talk about it all in the book. I go through canning and fermenting the supplies you need, the actual process. I have pictures. Um, so it's very step-by-step step and laid out. But um, you just want to keep the environment sterile, basically, is what with the canning, which is in contrast mm-hmm. to fermentation. is It's very different in that regard. And as far as like... Uh... Certain recipes will have certain processing times, like you might have 10 minutes for one vegetable, 10, 12 minutes for another vegetable. It's very important to stay to those times, correct? Correct, yes. And that is because it... The, the 10 minutes or more uh, is enough time to kill off the, the microbes that would cause your, your preserve to spoil. And so it's important to follow the directions, use USDA-approved um, recipes or ones that have been created using USDA uh, rules and regulations, because there's a lot of stuff you'll find on the internet that is not right (laughs) and not safe. So yeah, we spoke a little bit about that before we started recording. And that was when I was a kid, my mom and I used to bake jellies and jams and we would, it wasn't hot water bath, but what we would do is pour hot pack into the jars and then pour paraffin on top of that and let that cool, put a lid on it and walk away. But that is not a good idea. Don't do that anymore because you could create botulism with that or or, uh, or or other bacteria that's not good. And that's not fermented, or at least not fermented that you'd want to eat. <laughs> the other thing that people always say is the inversion method, I think it's called, where they'll mm-hmm. fill the, you know, like they're making a pickle, let's say pickled jalapenos. They put the jalapenos in the jar, pour the brine over it, the hot brine, clean the lid, 
room, put the lid on, put the ring on, and then they put it upside down on their counter. That's forcing a seal. So it will seal, but because you haven't put it in the hot water bath, you're not killing off the bad bacteria. So that's not safe just because it's sealed. It needs to go through that process to become shelf stable. And so if, if anybody is doing that inversion method, just put it in the refrigerator if you want to be safe. Because yeah, um, tell me what does hot pack mean? I see hot pack all the time. Explain hot pack. It's when you're cooking the stuff before you put it in the jar. So like a cold pack method would be I'm putting the pickling cucumbers in the jar and then I pour the brine over it. If I were going to hot pack something, I would it would all be hot and then I'm pouring it all hot into the jar. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay, so like cold, yeah, yeah, cold cucumbers and then a hot liquid over the top. That's like it's a not cold hot pack. packing. Yeah, hot yeah. hot cucumbers and hot liquid that's hot pack yeah but don't heat your cucumbers up that was just an example right, yeah, you're really, yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm sorry uh and then uh processing with these uh after it's processed you need to take it out of the hot water bath right? yep and you and put it on what? the counter on a, a lined like a cloth lined counter you want to put like a towel or something down because you don't want to thermally shock you know the the difference in temperature between that hot jar you just took out you wouldn't want to put it on like a metal rack that's cold so you put a towel right. or something as a barrier let it sit and then you let your jar cool completely it takes about 12 hours um before you you should fiddle with it and, and check your lids and stuff people constantly want to touch their lids right away after they pull it out and or they'll write me and say my lid didn't seal and i said well didn't you just pull it out? You know, you got to wait. Sometimes it takes hours before right. I hear that pop if I'm using a standard mason jar. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, you just want to put it on a towel lines surface and just leave them. And if they don't happen to seal, then you can just refrigerate them and eat them up right away. Um, certain things, like if it's if it's a jam or something, you could try reprocessing it. But if it was a, a pickle, okay. you wouldn't really want to reprocess it because it would probably get mushy going through that again yeah my i'm lucky though because i i pull my stuff out put it on the on the on the hot towel on a cutting board yeah uh, and just move it to a space where there's good airflow uh and boy that thing it starts pinging it sounds like church bells going off yeah so, yeah it is a yeah. relief in a way you're like okay it's all going right <laughs> now just just so people understand the physics of that when hot when a liquid is hot or air is hot it expands and that's what's happening in the jar as it's in the hot water bath and when you take it out and you let it cool, the air contracts. And when that contracts, that's what pulls the lid down and causes the ping. Yep. Creates a little right? vacuum seal. Yes. Yep. Little little physics going on there. You didn't know you were on a science program, <laughs> did you? <laughs> uh, pressure canning. We're, I'm just getting into pressure canning. I just bought a pressure canner because I do a lot of uh, stocks. I use a lot of chicken stock, vegetable stock, mushroom stock. And then I freeze that, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm taking a valuable freezer space here. Mm -hmm. So I bought a pressure canner and I'm going to do pressure canning on my stocks. And that way I can just set it up on the shelf. You pressure can as well, correct? I've done it a handful of times. I'm just getting into it too. And I actually did the same exact thing. I make stock constantly and then I'll make small batches that I can eat up right away because I also don't have a lot of freezer space. And so, yeah, I've done stock three or four times and I have a have a bunch of my cellar right now which is great um but yeah i would love to do like you know stews or soups and just more stuff like that i did some pressure canning yeah. in that class in hawaii the master food preserver certification course and we did fish which was very cool 
um, and, and mm-hmm. chicken, raw chicken. Raw chicken, really? Yeah. And, and you didn't add any no, liquid they- to that at all. It creates its own liquid as it cooks and it creates this little broth. And, and so I asked my teacher, I said, if I were to put this raw chicken in with like a carrot, onion, and a piece of garlic, and then we pressure canned it, would it, would I be able to do that? And would it make a, a broth? And they said, absolutely. So I mean, I intend to do that too. Now, is that going to be, cause you have, a, I'm going to jump over a little bit here. You have a second book coming out, correct? Yes. It is wet. Okay. Your first book is called uh, Canning and Ferment, Can It and Ferment It, correct? Yes. Okay. And your second book is called? Weck Small Batch Preserving. And Weck is a German jar company. So it's a preserving guide of how to use their jars. And uh, I'll post a link in the show notes to your website and to some links here so people can see what those are. But it's a different type of canning jar that we use in this country. It's a glass lid with some snaps on the side, correct? Yep. It has a rubber... A rubber ring and then two clasps on the side yes so nothing except glass will touch your preserve and that's what i love about them and why i was drawn to them when i started using them 10 years ago i've never used a wet jar I'll, I'll have to give that a try so before i jumped off what were we talking oh uh, the chicken and uh so the co- the the meat will cook in the jar yes and then basically what you have is what you would buy on a store shelf somewhere but you did it yourself yeah yeah, so if you see a good deal on whole chickens, you can just butcher them up, can them, and then they're on the shelf. And that would be uh, uh, pressure canning would be a good good idea for like salsas and tomatoes, right? Because those those are actually low acid. Yeah. Although people think tomatoes are high acid. Yeah, you have to acidify them if you do use them in the water bath. I do can tomatoes in the water bath, but I add lemon juice. Right. Yeah, I've done that too. But yeah, if I was to make uh, anything with meat, for sure, like if you did a, a tomato sauce with with meat or spaghetti sauce. Yeah, you have to pressure can all meat. People ask me that too. Um, Someone asked me, oh, I saw on a Facebook page that people were water bath canning hot dogs. It seemed weird to me. Is that okay? It's like, first of all, hot dogs are like the easiest thing to just put in water and cook. Why would you pressure can? I feel like that's way more work. But but no, absolutely do not water bath hot dogs. You have to pressure can any meat. Oh, no, no. Oh, man. Well, it's on the interweb, so it must be true. Well, that that's the problem yeah. with it. So you have to make sure your sources are reliable if you want to avoid, yeah. you know, getting sick. You bring up a good point. Let's talk about reliable sources. Certainly, you're a certified master canner, and you have uh, taken a course and been certified in that. So I would trust anything that you say. What are some of the other places people can go to get good information? I mean, I reliable information. constantly refer back just to the USDA um, canning guide that they have. They're a great resource for everything and not only canning, but um, dehydration, freezing, fermentation. I mean, they have all the timing that you need, the altitude information, um, just everything. And so you can either buy mm-hmm. this guide, you can get it printed out as like a book, but everything's online for free. And I can send you that link too, if you want to post that. Okay. Yep. That would be great. So that's probably that the top resource. Otherwise, um, I mean, that is where I go to. So I guess I'll just say that one. Yeah. And I've seen one, I think it's called the National Home Canning Institute. That's what I'm talking like about. That. Yeah. It's through the USA. Oh, that's it? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. So that's the one I go to. Yeah. Yeah. You do want it. It's not canning. It's not something that poses an imminent danger to anybody, but some people just have to, you just have to follow the rules. Yeah. And the, you know, make sure you're pressured. The class I took, the Master Food Preserver course, is in, it's like everything 
up to date that the USDA guidelines are now. So everything I've learned is, you know, up to date from this website, basically. <laughs> right. So other than, I have to ask this question because you live in Minnesota and you went to Hawaii to take this class? Yeah, because they, they don't offer this anymore in Minnesota or in Wisconsin. So people ask me this too, where do I go to become a master food preserver? And I'm I'm actually writing a blog post about it right now that I will post, but um, it's through the extension services and many states offer them. Uh, different counties have different um like every class is different like you're learning the same information but for example upstate new york has a course it's three days long i think eight or nine hours a day and it's a lot of information all at once the course i took right. in, i think that's at cornell yeah no, i think that's a cornell university yep. um and then i think in like washington they have it kind of eight fridays in a row or something like that so it's different everywhere but you're getting the same info but Obviously, I couldn't go to Washington for two months. So when this class popped up in Hawaii, we, we had visited Hawaii four years ago and we were looking for a reason to go back. And so <laughs> when this popped up and it was um, over two and a half weeks, we we're like, let's do it. And it just all kind of fell into place. And it was amazing. Yeah, yeah it was great. And I got to learn about all these fruits I'd never even tasted before and so And it was fun to preserve with them, too. Yeah, I was watching your Instagram feed and it's like wow, this is cool. And I couldn't believe how long you were there. And it looked like a really thorough class and you did some really interesting stuff there. Well, tell me one thing that you learned that were kind of surprising you that that may have, that you didn't know before. Um, what was the big takeaway? Oh, well, this is more about something that was kind of like, wow, but they don't have a lot of uh, recipes for canning tropical fruit down there. There's, And they have so much of it. Um, I know that's not really what you asked me, but that's one thing that I, I was like le- left leaving, like how these people have excess of, of all this fruit and they don't really know how to preserve it. What to do with it other than eat it quick. Yeah, and the other thing <laughs> is that it's hot there. And so it's something I never really considered being from Minnesota, that it it's a bit more difficult for them to ferment because a lot of places don't have air conditioning Um, And so like foodborne illnesses and keeping food cool and everything that is uh, difficult to do for them to avoid, you know, getting sick. I mean, it's like something they have to think Mm -hmm. about constantly. I I can leave stuff on my counter and I I know it's not going to get down to a bad temperature and uh, quickly, but uh, it's different down there. So it's just something I never thought about the foodborne illness aspect of being in a warmer climate. Well, it certainly gave you... um allowed you to be a little bit more uh, cautious about foodborne illness. I work in restaurants and that's something we're constantly monitoring. You know, I'll go into the kitchen or I have gone into kitchens, not where I am now, but I've gone into kitchens and somebody's like working on a board that they just cut chicken on. It's like, no, stop right there. Get a different board. Don't do that. It's like, oh, it's okay. I wiped it off. No, you didn't. So yeah. you have to be very cautious about foodborne illness because I have had food, food, uh, poisoning before and it's not a fun thing no it's so, very common it's careful, one in kids. four people get it i mean and they usually think yeah. it's a flu one in four yeah, one in four they wow i had no idea i think it's the flu but it's not so <laughs> they usually don't even know wow yeah holy cows so let's get back to cans for a second and, and canning just quickly we're talking about canning things and what kind of storage times can you get out of out of uh, let's say you make uh, a batch of jam and it 
batch of pickles and uh well they say a year for best you know crunch texture everything like that color because after that it just starts to deplete but i mean i i have stuff from two years ago still but a year to 18 months is is pretty ideal to eat it up in if I get to that 18 month mark, I start passing my stuff off to friends and family to eat it up. Yeah. And if you open a jar and it looks okay, uh, it's it's okay to eat. I mean, if you went through the process as directed in the recipe and you open a jar and it looks okay and it smells okay, it should be okay. If you hear any fizzy mm-hmm. sound off of a jam or something like that, that would maybe be a little cause for worry but yeah i've never in compost. 15 years had um a funny jar when i opened it i have had two times where the lid was off and that is a mm-hmm. sign that it didn't seal properly and that is the reason why you shouldn't stack your jars because if you stack your jars and it unseals and there's a jar on top of the jar that's unsealed and the you don't, you don't know. know and the gas is created as it starts you know uh, rotting or whatever, uh, then it can explode. And so if you don't stack your jars and the lid pops off, you know, it's not safe to eat. So you shouldn't put any jar on top of another jars. Can you put like in boxes on another? I mean, like, people do it, but you, just sh- don't do you it shouldn't stack. And that's why they say to take the rings off too. So it's just, um, a mm-hmm. quick, Oh, Hey, that lid's off. And I know that's not safe anymore. Instead of holding yeah. the, the lid down with the ring or stacking. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a false sense of security. Yeah. It could look good. It's not. Yeah. I opened a jam uh, that was 18 months old. First time I've been canning now and making jams now for, God, it's got to be 20 years, if not longer now. Uh, and I first time I opened one and I popped it open, I looked at it, it's like, that's not good. And there was uh, some, it, it had darkened a little bit and I could see like little traces of black around the edge. And I thought, that puppy's going bad. So that went right down to disposal. Yep. I wouldn't, wouldn't have eaten that one. Got to be careful on that. Uh, does food degrade or go bad? It's just, it, you'll just lose a little nutrients on it after a year, Yeah, right? and color and texture. I, I don't think it goes bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's just maybe right. wouldn't be as yeah, bad. Uh, enjoyable to eat after, you know, as it sits yeah, there. Bad was a bad word. <laughs> yeah, bad word. Uh, fermenting, though, you... <laughs> Let's get away from that one quick. Uh, fermenting. I'm going back to when I was a kid. I'm going to tell a little story here. When I was a kid, my grandmother, I grew up in a Polish household. Uh, my grandmother made pickles all the time. My uncle made pickles all the time. And it, we thought nothing of lifting up the plate. Uh, he had to plate this giant five-gallon or larger crock. And we'd lift up the plate, grab a pickle, and eat the pickle. And for some reason, I got away from that. I started thinking, ooh, geez, fermented people, fermented foods. I don't know why people are doing that. And then I thought, wait a minute, I did that when I was a kid. I used to eat this stuff all the time. So I started fermenting again. So fermenting is not a bad thing. And there are a couple of things you have to watch out for. I'm going to ask you about uh, in a minute. But let's talk a little bit about fermenting history. People have been fermenting for like thousands of years, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So oldest method of food preservation. And fermenting is basically you have whatever you're going to ferment, just wash it quickly and make sure it's clean. Mm-hmm put it in a jar, add some brine, cover it up, and walk away. Yeah, yeah, basically. So fermenting is easier in one regard because you don't need, you know, a big pot of hot boiling water and and all that to, you know, can it. But I always tell people to check on your preserves. So it's more time, length of time, because you have to wait for it to ferment. 
but I, it's easier mm-hmm. in some way because it's either just rubbing, you know, cabbage with salt or stirring salt in water and pouring it on your produce and weighing it down under the brine. And, you know, that's really it and waiting. <laughs> and when you're checking on it, you're checking for, you know, any produce that comes up out of the brine that would be exposed to air, then it could mold. So, you, you know, you just want to look for that or um, uh, yeast, cam yeast, I suppose, um, that mm-hmm. can sometimes. And cam yeast is not bad no, though, right? it just, cam yeast is a powdery kind of film that you'll sometimes see on your ferments. And I, I see it more with like the sugary stuff, like a carrot, say if I was um, fermenting mm-hmm. carrots. And if you catch it quick, and that's again why I say to check them every day, um, then you can just use a paper towel, dab it off or a spoon and spoon it out. But if it kind of takes over, then it has an icky flavor. So it's safe to eat, but I don't like the flavor. So then it ends up in the compost. And so I'm just really adamant about checking on them every day. (laughs) Yeah, I just did some garlic dills, fermented garlic dills. And I did an A-B test. And we've talked a little bit about that too. To keep crunchy, to keep your pickles crunchy, there's a couple of ways. You can increase the, the brine concentration or add like a grape leaf, a cherry leaf, an oak leaf, and that adds tannins uh, to the mix, and that helps keep the crunch in the pickles. And I opened up one of the jars, and I looked at it, and it was like, oh, there's some yeast on it, but it was canned yeast, so I just wiped it off. And another jar had the same thing, some canned yeast, but that had a little black spot underneath, and I thought, well, maybe that's a seed or something, and I picked it up, and it wasn't. It was mold. And that's called what? Cat cat something? Is that what it's you called? You know, you mentioned that. I don't actually know the that technical black... term for that. I just scoop it out, or, you know, if it's green, if it's if it's a white fuzzy mold and mm-hmm. everything else is submerged under the brine, I might scoop it out. But if there is any color to it, right. the whole thing needs to go. Yeah, yeah. This, this was just a little black spot, and I thought not worth, you know, a, a half a cucumber and my health right. so it oh it's so garbage. disappointing though to it. dump them well i i got i had six jars i've got five yeah, so i'm it's still ahead to of the be game safe than sorry so brines let's talk about brines if people who want to start fermenting what's uh your book is a good source uh and there is also uh sandor cats yep. correct sandor yep. is that Sandor's like he's the guru. Like he's everybody like thinks he's the guru. Leading the guy, revolution yeah. of fermentation. Yeah, yeah. He's the, yeah. that's actually the first book I ever bought. Um, was his, and he's got a few. So Sandor Katz is a great place, especially if you want to learn mm-hmm. like the history. I don't really go into that in my book. I just kind of get to the point. But yeah, right. he's a great resource. So let's talk about brines. There's different concentrations of brines. You mentioned to me at one point. Uh, along the line that you use just one brine concentration pretty much yeah it's like a two and a half percent salt brine solution and and that works for Mm -hmm. everything i've done because i just try not to overcomplicate it i know that you can weigh things out and i feel like for people that have never done it that would maybe be intimidating and this solution always works every single time for me and so then i just that's why i write Mm -hmm. it that way and and I think what you're talking about is the different types of salts weigh different amounts. Like a, a kosher salt weighs different from a flaked salt because of the you can't you really can't, I I don't go by volume. You know, well, I'm a baker and a chef as well, so. <laughs> and I am not a baker. <laughs> yeah, I do of... not like baking at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I measure all that, uh, and I use pretty much the same salt all the time. It's a, a kosher salt. Uh, so I've got that down now, but I use different brine concentrations 
pretty much a 3%, or if I'm going for a garlic dills, I'll jump it up to like 5%. And Stephanie, maybe you could explain brine concentrations a little well, bit. Well, it's just the, if you're using like a 5% for the pickles, it's probably to help aid in the crunchiness, maybe a little saltiness for the for the pickles. Is that right? Why you'd add a little bit yep. more. Um, well, the salt helps mm-hmm. preserve whatever you're fermenting. And so salt is important. Um, there are salt-free ferments but then they generally don't have crunch. They're mere mushy, Um, but people do have issues with salt intake. But um, I love salt, so sometimes I even add a little bit more than I should. But (laughs) if you Mm over-salt something, it it won't ferment properly either. So it is important to to refer to to recipes for that too, to get an idea of the right amount of salt that you want to mix into the water for your ferments. Okay, and then containers. I've read that recently... Uh, somewhere there was someone said that you shouldn't use a ceramic crock. Now that might have been true. Like my uncle's ceramic crock probably wasn't a good idea. There's probably all kinds of lead floating around in that. But new cracks, that's pretty safe now, right? You know, I think it's super important to know exactly where that crock came from because what is happening is that uh, American companies are selling crocks. Um, and so it seems to the buyer that it would maybe be made in America, but it's only distributed in America. And so you don't know really where it's made. You don't know what the regulations are on the testing of that paint. And so that I, you'll probably see it all over my Instagram. I get the cracks generally from the same two sources. Um, do you want me to say what they are? Sure. Yeah. Mainly That's everything okay. I got in the last two years is from Stone Creek Trading. And they actually meet the the potters. They know exactly where it's coming from. They know the paint is safe. They test the paint. And so I ferment almost everything in, in their crocks now. And th- I like theirs because they have the water seal, the, the water well. Okay. And I like to use mm-hmm. those because I feel like that there's less room for error with those because when you're putting water in the seal and putting the lid on it, it creates a natural airlock. So as the ferment ferments, the gases can release on their own. You don't have to go in and burp it every day as if you, you know, some of the other vessels that you can use, but then also no contaminants can get in your ferment. So I have the best success Mm -hmm. with um, cracks with water seals now. Yeah. I'm using uh, this thing called pickle pipes. Yeah. Uh, and pickle pebbles because you Stephanie mentioned earlier uh, everybody listening out there if anybody's listening uh, you have to keep everything underneath the brine because otherwise it could go moldy and spoil the ferment and there's a thing they're glass weights you just drop it on top pulls everything down yes. and you're done and they work very well do you know what yeah. I've been using are so, the WEC lids the WEC jars that we were talking about a little bit ago they have their jars are different sizes and so their lids are different sizes. And if I need a little extra uh, weight in areas, I'll just throw in a couple more lids. And I've been doing that for a couple of years and that's mm-hmm. great. And those are very inexpensive if you can find a place just to get replacement lids. I love that. And, it, and it's great mm-hmm. for like um, for jar fermenting too, for smaller batches, just to get a little lid and put right. it in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Works great. Yeah, multi-use. If you can get more than one use out of something, do it. Save yourself some money in storage space. Now, time and temperature. I've got, uh, I did some, people will see on the Clean Slate Farm Instagram feed, I did a test with um, garlic dills and I did a 5% brine with and without uh, grape leaves. And I let them go. I put them, they were about 12 days and I tested them yesterday, I think it was, and they were terrific. 
What's a typical time or is it a time temperature ratio? I mean, for I think it's really kind of up to personal taste. I mean, some people like their pickles really sour or their ferments really sour and then you would let it ferment a bit longer. Uh, I I let my pickles go that I just finished up yesterday, only a week and a half. And normally I let them go for three, four weeks, but it's been really warm in my kitchen. Um, I typically like to ferment mm-hmm. between 68 and 72 degrees. And I'd say my kitchen has been closer right. to high 70s. Um, and so it fermented faster. Yeah. So time and temperature definitely plays a big part yeah. in it. But I just say taste it if it doesn't taste done enough. You know, put the weight back down, check it in a day or two, and and determine the flavor that you really like, and as to when it's done. So all the, um, all the days in my book that I say they're more of a suggestion. Okay, I had somebody ask me the other day, so how do I'm going to have like pickles fermenting in my cabinet for like forever? It's like no, you're not. You you take the pickle out and you put it in the refrigerator, and then that stops the fermentation or a lower temperature, because fermentation relies on uh, time and temperature, but the lower the temperature, the slower correct. the ferment, and correct? So, yeah, putting it in the fridge will, will halt it. It doesn't totally stop. It will actually keep changing as it's in the fridge, but it will not ferment the way it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, so you'll when, when it's finished, yeah. then, yeah, you put it in a clean jar or other container that with the top, a lid, and then keep it in the refrigerator. And that will keep for... Mm-hmm. years really i mean i have stuff in there from years ago as long as it looks good and it smells good and everything's looking good you can yeah. eat it i overdid it on sauerkraut uh last year and i had so much sauerkraut and <laughs> my wife Joanne was looking at me like we're gonna eat all the sauerkraut and uh it was a year and i tasted it it looked fine it tasted mm-hmm. fine it was great so i finished it up and I'll yeah do it's a great year. way to preserve uh, but then yeah. you have to keep up keep it in your fridge so then it's refrigerator space that you've just occupied for a year whereas you know that's the benefit of canning it's it's stored away but then you know the flavors are totally different so yeah because fermented foods do taste different and they there's a lot of you know, everybody's talking now about the gut the micro the microbiome or microbiomes and that's what fermenting does because um so what's what what's the process? It's lactobacteria, lacto lacto fermentation, also known as wild fermentation. And so, the good bacteria, the lactobacillus, will convert the sugars in the ferment to lactic acid. And lactic acid is a natural preservative, preservative that inhibits growth of the harmful bacteria. And so, and that's what you'll hear about the healthy gut bacteria, the probiotics. Yeah, that's. I was trying to think. I couldn't think of the word probiotics. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I do it. Tastes right. good and it's good it's for you. It's a benefit, right? So, it's just double whammy. Yeah. <laughs> Works for me. Yeah. So what's coming up? Well, you've got another yes. book coming out, right? You've After all this stuff, you've got like a million things going on. I, I saw your Instagram feed the other day. I was like, oh, my God, what is this woman doing with all this candy? <laughs> she's got like a million things she just put up. And then you've got a book coming out yeah, as well. Yeah, so another one, that's right? the Wax Small and Batch Preserving uh, the Year. Year-round recipes okay. for painting, fermenting, pickling, and more. And I go into infusing in that too. So lots of great recipes in that one, all for the WEC jars, but they, they can be converted to mason jars too. But since WEC did not have a preserving guide, they mm-hmm. chose me um, to write this book. Yeah, yeah this is a company that's been around for 120 years in Germany. And um, the jars are all over the world, and they're great, and they're reusable. 
And um, so, yeah, I was excited to write this book and I am very excited for it to get into Neat. everybody's hands because I'm very proud of it. <laughs> well, you, you should be because your first book was great and you get Thank better you. as you go along. That's, I think that's the way life works. So that's wonderful. And any now, do you have any uh, classes or things yes, that you're going to be teaching? Um, or I'm right now. It's that? just in Richfield, and then I think I'm going to be doing one in St. Paul. And I have a lot of other opportunities. So as I kind of secure them and the dates, I will put it on my Instagram and other social media, and and keep everyone notified. And hopefully next year I can get around the country a little bit, meet some more of you. Yeah, that would be neat. So I want you to tell us what your Instagram is. Um, it's Minnesota is. from scratch. Minnesota spelled out completely. Okay. And yep. your Facebook page? Um, it's Minnesota from scratch blog page. And if you search that, you'll find me. And then your blog yeah. is Minnesota from scratch. Yep. Right? That was easy. <laughs> and your books can be found on, uh, you can get that as a Kindle Yeah, you book, can. Um, hardcover books. They're basically sold everywhere that books are mm -hmm. sold online. Um, some stores have them around, but I don't okay. actually know which ones have them around the country. So uh, your best bet is to just go online. And it's mm -hmm. actually the Can It and Fermented is on sale on Amazon right now. Big discount. So for eleven fifty five. And I'll tell you, even at full price, that was a bargain. That was a great book. I, it's like, like I said, I rarely buy books anymore. Uh, and that one was, I looked at it, it's like, boom, done deal. And that's how I found you. I thought, wow, this, this well, that is woman a huge really compliment. knows what's going on. Thank so maybe so we much. want to talk with her. Well, thank you. So I guess we've pretty much wrapped it up, right? Can you think Not of anything really? else? No? Okay. Well, Stephanie uh, Thoreau, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm going to put some, you send me some links and I'll put them down in the show notes here. And, uh, We'll uh, talk with you later. But it was great talking with you. I thank you very much. It you was uh, thank very you, informative. Steve. And if anybody has any questions, just go to Stephanie's site and she'll help you out there. Thanks, great. Steve. Thanks, Stephanie. Hey, thanks for listening to the Clean Slate Farm podcast. I really appreciate it. That was a great talk with Stephanie. Very knowledgeable about canning and fermenting. And uh, the book is really good. I really, really can recommend that. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Coming up, we're going to be talking with Jesse Harriet. Jesse is a coffee roaster in Ithaca, New York, Copper Horse Coffee Roasters. And now you have probably seen, if you haven't seen, go to our YouTube channel, Clean Slate Farm on YouTube, and we roast coffee beans here, but Jesse takes us to a whole nother level. As a matter of fact, we buy beans, roasted beans from Jesse, because it's a good roast. It's really terrific stuff. Knows a lot about coffee. Tina McPherson will be coming up also, Salsa Cues. She has a company called Salsa Cues. And Salsa Cues is, uh, she makes salsas, easy as that. And we're going to be talking about starting a small food-based business, some of the ups and downs and perils about that. Hey, if you would like to, you can find us on Facebook, Clean Slate Farm. Follow us along there, Instagram, Clean Slate Farm. Twitter, although we're not very active there, Clean Slate Farm. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Clean Slate Farm. A lot of DIY stuff there, cooking, chickens, gardening, a little bit of everything over there. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. See you later. Bye-bye.